Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Europe's geopolitical construct is seemingly shifting a reaction to domestic sentiments largely triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And while societies aspire to regain a lost sense of stability, including by deepening the transatlantic partnership, European capitals also opt to reintroduce conservative principles, setting those in an inevitable collision course with the institutions of the European Union which are almost exclusively dominated by the liberal left. Good evening, I'm Jonathan Hassan and this is TV7 Europa Stands. Joining me for today's deliberations on Europe's state of affairs is General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Bundeswehr Chief of General Staff and Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, General. Pleasure. Also joining us is General Gustav Hegland, who is Finland's former Chief of Defense and Chairman of Euro the European Union's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Thank you. To my left here is Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British Field Commander and Head of the International Counterterrorism Intelligence Team at the British Cabinet Office. Colonel, it's good to have you. Pleasure, thank you. And uh, Timo Soini, who is Finland's former Foreign Minister and Deputy Premier. Thank you for joining us as well, Timo. Thank you. It's good to have you. General Nauman, we'll start with you as usual. What would you classify the most important issue that occurred over the past months since uh, last we aired our last episode? Well, you will be really surprised if I say Ukraine. Since what, what happened in Ukraine is not only a blatant violation of international law, but it meant that all international arrangements on which international security in Europe and in the West rested was destroyed and is in shambles. And more than that, I think the global economic order on which we all based our welfare and our wealth uh, will suffer tremendously from this onslaught on democracy and human rights. So the worst is still to come, General Hegland? Uh, I certainly agree that the Ukrainian crisis has been dominating it, but one of the results of it has been uh, a wake up of the European countries from, from their uh, peace, uh, defense nihilism. And, and uh, now it seems that they all have understood that uh, it's a utopia that a permanent peace would have broken out somehow in Europe, and, and uh, so they are uh, going to rearm themselves and, and uh, uh, take the greater responsibility of the defense of their countries. Indeed, Colonel Kemp, it seems like Britain has taken the role of the reliable partner for most uh, Eastern European countries. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's certainly true, and today, or a few days ago rather, the, uh, the British Prime Minister made a quite a historic speech to um, to the Ukrainian parliament in which he essentially parroting Winston Churchill said that this was Ukraine's finest hour uh, in the same way that uh, Churchill described the, the early years of the Second World War as Britain's finest hour. 
I think the when you look at Ukraine on the whole, I think the key issue in the last few weeks has been the the reliance on on Russian energy in Europe, and I think that you know by continuing to buy oil and gas from Russia, the West, Germany, other countries uh, are funding Putin's war and encouraging Putin. And I think that is something that must stop. Uh, and, and yes, it'll cause damage in Germany and other countries. But I believe that, that that is the key, in many ways, the key not to ending this conflict, but the key to maybe uh, clipping Putin's wings in the longer term. Mr. Soini? I think that this Ukraine, of course, uh, uh, involves to everything what is happening. And like General Nauman said, that will <coughs> also have big economical consequences via inflation, uh, rise of prices of gas and oil and food and energy and electricity. And, and that will also, in due course of time, uh, affect the political uh, consequences uh, via elections and so forth. But also here up north, both in Finland and in Sweden, uh, the support of the NATO membership has uh, exploded. So the vast majority of the citizens are now for the NATO membership and it's very likely within two weeks uh, the application will be sent from both of countries. And that is significant and big change in thinking and also in the power balance what comes to the Baltic Sea region. Indeed, we'll come back to that uh, momentarily, but I'd like to quote uh, and to draw back, actually, if we may rewind in history to the mid-1950s, when uh, German fe Federal Chancellor Konrad Adenauer, uh, in the second reading of the Paris Agreements uh, uh, before the Bundestag, uh, said that as long as we are not in NATO, referring, of course, to Germany, in the event of a hot war between Soviet Russia and the United States, where the European battlefield and if we are in the Atlantic Pact organization, then we are no longer that battlefield. Obviously, Germany is no longer a battlefield. It is part of NATO. But is this a lesson learned, uh, General Naumann, with regard to other countries on the eastern flank of Europe and elsewhere, for that matter? Well, the, the promise of NATO, or better I should say the assurance of NATO, is that countries who are members of NATO will never become a battlefield. That is our aspiration. And as long as we are strong enough to deter a country such as Russia, we will keep this promise and uh, will make it happen. Of course, it is, it is impossible without, for the Europeans, and if I say Europeans, I'm including, of course, the British also, they are no longer members of the United, of the European Union. For the Europeans, it's indispensable that the United States stand to their guarantee, security guarantee. And geostrategically, I should add, it is impossible to defend Europe without control of the Atlantic Ocean. For that reason, we are linked together. And uh, this linkage, I think, is indispensable and is also for the Americans not replaceable. They are a maritime power and they need to be in control of the European coastline. Otherwise, they will no longer be the global power they are. They know that, also at least some former presidents deny it, but uh, fortunately they are not long in office. Indeed. General Hegland, uh, you had a 
brief periods in recent years where you uh, objected the possibility of entering uh, NATO, saying that it was not necessarily something that would guarantee Finnish uh, uh, security. Uh, in the last program, you, of course, also explained yourself that uh, this would uh, uh, derived from uh, a concern that it would diminish the national defense of uh, Finland particularly. But uh, now, ahead of uh, the vital decision, uh, together with Sweden, is this something that uh, we will expect in the near future, seeing uh, the, the uh, state of Finland, the state of, of uh, Sweden, apply to become members of NATO, in spite of Russian threats that uh, uh, they uh, uh, so vocally say that significant consequences would be made? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I would uh, like to try to quote Konrad Adenauer as well. I'm not quite sure if, if the story seems, uh, is correct, but he was asked how many Americans are needed in Europe to defend uh, Germany, and he said one as long as he is killed as soon as possible. That means that then the countries are involved, the NATO members are in, in, involved in, 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 in that crisis. And that's, that's of course, the, a little bit the idea of the Swedish and, and Finnish membership as, as well, that uh, after being members, we, we uh, are, are certain that we will get uh, help and assistance uh, if we are threatened and uh, because of the geography there are not so many countries that could threaten uh, Finland and so uh, and when we look at our history and so, so on as well so for, for, for sure we appreciate the, the possibility to, to join, the, join the alliance now and uh, uh, when I was afraid that uh, this uh, disarmament of the European countries would somehow uh, come over to Finland. That's not true anymore when all the European countries are uh, increasing their defenses as well. Indeed, considering also the fact that Finland on the eastern uh, border of Russia is the longest border, at least uh, between the two countries, it has a significance also for NATO, but within uh, the security um, paper published by the government of Finland, uh, Colonel Kemp, we see that the partnership between Finland and the United Kingdom, Finland and the United States, is highlighted uh, quite significantly prior to even discussing the matter of NATO, uh, indicating, of course, that uh, the United Kingdom is showing that it is a partner to nations uh, under threat within a continental Europe, uh, something that historically has been true also. Uh, what do you think is the current role within this constellation of the latest developments? I think, I mean, one thing I would say is that there is a contradiction in the UK as well. And that contradiction is that right now, today, as we are witnessing the worst war Europe's seen probably since the Second World War, uh, and as I think General Nauman uh, alluded to, this, the worst may be yet to come. But today in Britain, we're, we're undergoing defence cuts. We have a very small army already, and air, Navy and Air Force, tiny compared to what it once was and compared to what it needs to be. And we're cutting it further. The, the, you know, even in the face of Russian aggression in Ukraine, there's been no uh, suggestion or announcement that we're going to roll back on that defence cut. And, and that's something we should be doing. And I think 
without, without something like that, without Britain as one of the leading nations in Europe um, committing to, to not only stopping our defence cuts but turning them back and recreating a, 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 an army that's capable of deterring mm -hmm. countries like Putin. I, I, I just don't think Britain can be, have a credible voice. I know we have been a strong leader in helping, helping Finland, helping other countries in Europe and helping Ukraine. But we've also got to help ourselves. And we're talking about shipping uh, Challenger tanks to Poland to backfill tanks that they plan to send to Ukraine. Uh, we've hardly got any tanks at all of our own. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it is, there is a contradiction there. And, and just finally, I, I, I would like to, I'm probably in a minority of one in this studio, but I have my severe reservations about uh, NATO's military resolve. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I would certainly welcome Finland and Sweden joining it, but I would question the commitment NATO would have actually to committing German, British, French, other national troops to spilling their blood on soil in defence of countries in, in Eastern Europe. I, I, I hope I'm wrong in that, but I think NATO countries, particularly in Western Europe, have been through such a period of liberalisation and fear of using military force. And obviously there are exceptions to that, but I do think NATO as a whole is not the, mentally at least, the strong alliance that it needs to be. Mr. Soini? I think it's, it's a very uh, harsh but very good point what Richard actually said uh, about defending other countries. It's uh, in theory and in, in agreement-wise, it's very easy to say that we are committed and so forth. But that is why exactly uh, Finland has kept its conscription army. We have no illusions in that sense. We have always thought that uh, Finnish soil will be defended by Finnish soldiers. But, uh, but help, which were lacked when we were attacked by Soviet aggression, uh, all kind of weaponry and everything else. So, so that is a very bad memory from us. And I, I'm also interested at one, on what direction NATO will head because it's not a unanimous block of countries. There are all kinds. There is a northern dimension, then there is a, a central Europe, then there is Turkey, and which is actually invaded Cyprus at the moment, and, and so forth. But the also the very focal point is to, to keep U.S. interest in Europe. That is pivotal uh, in due course of time, because if, if U.S., put all its eyes to China and, and Far East, we are in trouble in that sense. So, so in, in that sense, it's essential that we show also willingness to defend ourselves and pay that 2% of, the, of the, uh, our national budget uh, to defense. And, and actually half of the countries are delivering at the moment. General Nauman? Well, I do not quite agree with my dear friend Richard uh, on the willingness of Europeans to stand for each other. Um, let, me, let me mention that uh, Putin achieved something which we never had expected. He united the Europeans in their view that they have to do more on defense. Even the Germans, who were the most peace-loving Europeans you could think of. Now they are behind the government, but the government declared to spend 100 billion in extra money on defense. That they, and the government declared that they will spend 2% of the uh, GNP 
for defense. And if you look at the preparedness of the people, uh, I think we have seen examples that the, which prove the contrary. I was chairman of the military committee when NATO took up arms the first time in the Kosovo air campaign. Nineteen nations, of which a couple of them did not know at all what Kosovo is, where it is, what it means. <laughs> uh, some all knew how it is spelled, but it was the consensus. But then they were united and stood 78 long days together until Milosevic surrendered. And uh, <coughs> we have seen similar things. Take the German Social Democratic Defense Minister Struck, who declared without deep strategic knowledge that Germany is defended at the Hindukush. And as a consequence, German military went for 20 years to Afghanistan and they fought there. They were not only there to drill fountains as they initially thought, they really were in combat operations and as most of our allies will agree, they did not do too badly. So uh, I think if the chips are down, the Europeans know that they have to protect each other and I have not the slightest doubt if Finland joined NATO and what would tell German people are you prepared to defend Finland at the Finnish-Russian border? The overwhelming majority would say, yes, we will do. Can I, can I just come in? Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I also served in Afghanistan alongside the Germans, and I would agree with you. They didn't, not they didn't do too badly. They did extremely well. Um, but, but, but all of these wars, the, the uh, Kosovo air campaign, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of the wars we fought really since... I, I would guess, uh, with the exception of little wars like the Falklands and K Korean War, etc., um, none of them have carried with them a risk of, of attack on our homelands. I mean, yes, of course, terrorist attacks emanating from Iraq, from Afghanistan and Iraq, etc. But none of them have involved the kind of risks that um, that, that we're faced with from Putin, and, and, and above all, the nuclear threat, which I think acts as an enormous deterrent really a real deterrent against NATO countries getting involved. And, you know, Milosevic, he didn't threaten Germany, he didn't threaten Britain. There's no, nothing he could have done about our countries. So I think, I think we're in a... I hope you're right, General, I hope I'm wrong, but I think we are in a very different situation. But uh, Milosevic didn't threaten Germany, clear. But the more important is that they were agreed to do something despite there was no threat. And on this nuclear thing, I'm, I'm really blaming all German politicians who stayed once, uh, stayed time and again, we are afraid of uh, Putin's nuclear weapons. Yes, we know that he has a lot of nuclear weapons, yeah. but the more we say, uh, please, we are so afraid, the more we invite him to do it. Yeah. So we should, we should say, okay, we know your nuclear weapons, but what you get as a response will be the end of Russia. Not to forget MAD, of course, and, and other components in play. But General uh, Hegland, if, if I'd like to bring you into the picture, uh, when we're looking at the, the issues that we hear both General Nauman speak of and, and uh, Colonel Kemp, one of the, the chief issues is that there is no clear 
um, alignment between the countries of the, uh, the resolve to, to make that same spending. Not, we don't see France come and, and uh, introduce a 100 billion euro budget uh, for defense spending. We don't see the United Kingdom to the contrary. We see it reduce its costs. Uh, we see the Netherlands rent 18 Laupat tanks from, from uh, Germany instead of actually making those necessary acquisitions to provide strong power that would then enable it to utilize those tools for that uh, necessity. And Finland, uh, to your concerns uh, voiced in the previous programs, uh, is resolved on maintaining its own national defense, but at the same time, once within the comfort of NATO, would that be that same reality? Mm. Uh, certainly we will, uh, in the first hand, defend ourselves. We have a, a very good level of, of, of defense, good preparations, uh, I would say probably the best in, 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 in Europe in, in many aspects. Uh, it, it's not only the military defense, it's uh, civilian defense, economic defense, uh, and, and, and so on. Uh, so that will, will always be the, the, the number one. And the, the, the better we do, the more likely it is that we get support. You can see it in, in Ukraine, how, how uh, every, every week there's been more and more uh, support for, 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 for their fight. So uh, uh, countries are, are better prepared to assist somebody that is, is uh, doing it well, well, well itself. Self and and, and that, uh, I am rather uh, certain that, that Finland would be able to 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 defend itself uh, to a long extent, but of course when we have uh, 1,300 meters of border, uh, no five million pe people's army is is able to to protect every place and so on. So we would we would uh, certainly welcome, uh, and then uh, then. Uh, uh, of course, the, the the nuclear aspect as well uh, that that uh, we could be be threatened with nuclear weapons uh, very easily if we are not uh, not uh, under the U.S. umbrella. In, in, in and British, and French, <laughs> and British, and French, and uh, others not to be named. Uh, yeah. Mr. Soyner, I think also in the future the the. Uh, role of uh, Arctic will uh, rise in importance and uh, because of that it is uh, pivotal that both Finland and Sweden are going to join. If we look at uh, Norway, we look at the Barents Sea, we look at uh, the Russian missiles and submarines in Kola Peninsula and so forth, that, that may be one of the big focal points if the new routes are emerging to China or Far East, very, very up north. But, but also, I, I think that the big, big risk in the future is that if this uh, war is going to be prolonged, people are getting, in a way, used to or even tired. And, and uh, um, I, I, I suspect that summertime will go because of the holidays and schools out and everything else. But into autumn time, really, it, it hits economically very highly. To especially the, the poorer people and the middle class people, 
the price of gas, oil, electricity, food, and everything else. So that will also also put uh, some pressure on the decision makers that how to end this. And if we are then going to blockade, uh, as we should, uh, that uh, importing of gas and oil from Russia, it will highly likely increase amount of money used to the petrol and other services from the Middle East and, and so forth. And then suddenly we are more de dependent on the countries like Iran, Iraq and, and so forth. And this brings us to the Middle East and, and so forth. It's, uh, if it's dry here, it's wet there and the white worse. Indeed, this is something you spoke to earlier, Colonel Kemp, uh, regarding the necessity to cut Russian energy uh, demand. But uh, nonetheless, at this stage, Europe cannot uh, just cut it and, and say, okay, we're done with Russia, we'll find alternative means. The infrastructure is not necessarily there. The sources are not necessarily there if uh, without that infrastructure accommodating. And therefore, I, I'd actually like to ask you, General Naumann, as you spoke about the, the political will in Germany, uh, that uh, the moment that something occurs to defend Finland particularly, of course, we see that same support uh, in the polls with regard to Ukraine. But what will happen if now, uh, after Russia and China, just uh, in the month of February, have come already to agreement about significantly increasing uh, the um, exports of energy, fissile fuels and, and uh, uh, natural gas from Russia to China. Uh, and the moment that is rounded up, uh, that means that the Russian leverage is increased over Europe and it can be then utilized as a tool far beyond what is uh, uh, currently viewed. Well, uh, in the case of Germany, I should say, we depended on Russia in three aspects, coal, oil, and gas. But uh, we have taken already action in contrast to many other European countries who depend as much as we do on, on gas. Mention Italy, for, in, for instance. They do nothing, but they, uh, in, in our case, we have acted. Oil is reduced to 8%. Coal is blocked. Gas is reduced from 55%, which was a complete nonsense to permit this ever, is now reduced to 35 and by the end of the year it will be down to 15. Uh, so action is taken. And we, we look at this uh, agreement with China with great interest. Uh, to get oil and gas to China requires pipelines and they are not built overnight, even not with Chinese workers. So uh, <laughs> wait and see and then start up to make the equation once again when Russia is suffering from the sanctions. What Russia is doing, what Putin is doing, is to give away the powerful role Russia had as long as it was integrated into our global system. Russia will be a very poor country if our sanctions continue to bite. And whether Putin will survive that, that remains to be seen. Indeed. Colonel Kemp, uh, one of the uh, optional alternatives, of course, I hear behind the scenes there is uh, once again discussion about Greece re-establishing that uh, submarine pipeline through Cyprus uh, to Israel, uh, something that could provide a partial alternative at least. Uh, do you see something like this materializing and to what degree would that trigger then a Russian response southward? 
I think I th there are several options, and one of them, one of them is what you just mentioned. The Adriatic is another one. <coughs> North Africa um, are all potential additional uh, plus, plus, you know, shipping stuff from the United States, etc. I think all these are potential options, um, which can help to wean Europe. And I, I, I didn't in intend to imply it was just Germany that was dependent on uh, on Russian energy um, to wean Europe off this. I th and I think it is essential that. We explore, and I would hope that the national leaders are currently exploring all of the potential options to, uh, to, 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 to get away from the dependence on Russia, and not just on energy, on everything. I think, you know, the, the sanctions, I hope, as the General Nauman said, the, the sanctions hopefully will bite against the Russians. But I think there'll be a temptation when, for example, Putin has done his stuff in the Donbass, and, and he considers the operations pretty much complete there. I think he will then be looking at, he will probably announce his desire for peace. And at that moment, there'll be a huge temptation by European leaders and, and by the President Biden to ease off on the sanctions. They'll be desperate to do that. They want to return to normality. They, they know how much these sanctions affect their own economies as well. They will be desperate to relax them at any opportunity. And I think that'll happen. It'll be a big mistake because it will be another green light to Putin once he's finished his current operations in the Donbass, even if he hasn't achieved all his objectives in Ukraine, he will do so and he will, uh, I, I expect, be encouraged by a relaxation of sanctions. I would like to make a shift. Uh, we just had, uh, of course, the elections in France, uh, something that was uh, quite substantive. Uh, and I'd like to ask you, Mr. Soini, as the uh, former uh, politician uh, yeah. on this uh, table. <laughs> Somebody has uh, to be. <laughs> indeed. Uh, Emmanuel Macron just won, uh, won uh, with uh, quite substantive figures, even though uh, the mm. Marie Le Pen was not far behind necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the parliamentary elections in Paris are also around the corner, something that is going to have yeah. quite the substantive impact, not only on France in particular, mm -hmm. uh, but on uh, the entire uh, continental Europe and beyond. Uh, how do you see this uh, latest development? I think uh, Macron did win quite clearly, but uh, not because the genius of himself, but uh, everybody uh, voted against Le Pen, although, although uh, it was uh, 52 to 40, 40, 58 to 42 or something like that. But the parliamentary election will be a totally different story. Macron's party have now the plain majority in the in the French uh, parliament, and it will uh, it will be wiped out uh, because of uh, not only Marine Le Pen but also extreme left, uh, Mr. Melanchon. And and the the most significant consequence may be that the old and established parties, so-called coalists and Christian Democrats and the Socialists, they they are virtually non-existent, mm, and, and and then that will be big story and and also politically we have only had two elections the first one was m mr orban did win and okay mr macron did win and then there are a series of elections to come sweden and 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 poland and and some others in due course of 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 time and i i think that political consequences will be much more sustainably bigger because of uh, prices of oil and energy and everything else connected to that, and especially Italy will be the big, big country to 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 be uh, 
uh, under scrutiny because actually now the, all the other parties except uh, uh, Brothers of Italy are in the Draghi's government. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, that is a kind of the minestrone soup which is not uh, uh, long-lastingly uh, uh, sustainable. And if we think what Mr. Draghi said uh, yesterday in, in the European Parliament, that uh, we have to take joint debt uh, to to make uh, economy uh, going smoothly forward. We take joint debt to, to rearm ourselves and we can get joy defect uh, to, to tackle the social consequences of this war. So where to borrow and from where, what interest? It Which is a joint them. initiative, of course, yeah, that's with right. President Macron. Yeah, that's right. And there may be a new power cable trying to be between Italy and, uh, and, and France. And of course, now when UK is out, I understand Brexit. I, I even sympathized it. But we, we, we lost a very good ally <laughs> uh, here up north. Now it's only us and, uh, and Dutch because we, we don't know about Germany nowadays. <laughs> we, it, it used to be tough. Uh, General Hegland, your, your perspective to this, of course, uh, as uh, Mr. Sonia said correctly, the conservative parties are losing ground quite substantively. Uh, it seems like the conservative parties in the European Union uh, have, for quite some time now, uh, actually, if you can go back to the 60s uh, from that perspective, uh, but uh, for quite some time they are playing within the framework of uh, the agenda of the liberal left and, and even the radical left, which has uh, pretty much taken control of the European institutions. How can we see a certain balance being reestablished that would allow Europe to basically reflect into the various institutions which are supposed to uh, mirror the, the societies which they represent? I am not a politician. And I will never be. And I therefore, that's, you that's can't be straightforward. <laughs> Actually, so uh, uh, the, the, this this question should should be asked somebody else. Uh, uh, of course, the, 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 there has been quite a, a, a movement, but but uh, I think it it uh, the, the French election was in, in that sense important that it Macron is is pro NATO, NATO and pro. Uh, um, European defense. So uh, uh, it, it might be that he is able to unite uh, uh, not only Italy but maybe Germany as well uh, to, to, to building some kind of, of own, own defense in, in, the, uh, in the EU area. And, and, and uh, uh, I mean, if, if he would have been defeated, uh, Le Pen uh, uh, had promised that uh, they would. Uh, exit uh, NATO and and, uh, and and so on. So uh, uh, I'm not so pessimistic uh, as as to the future uh, after the French election as I would have been if if, if Le Pen would have uh, won the moment. Indeed, General Norman. Well, uh, looking back to what you all just said about this desire of Italy and France to share the debts uh, in the European Union, that indicates once again that politicians never start to think something new. That is an old idea of uh, Draghi and of, of Macron. 
uh, it requires to, to look very legalistically, it requires a change of the European treaties. Whether they will get a majority among uh, the all members of the European Union, I have my serious doubts. Well, Germany has been opposed to this idea for quite some time now. Yeah, and has resisted. Uh, and the, the present chancellor, you shouldn't forget, was for a couple of years the Minister of Finances of Germany. So he should at least be aware of that. And he cannot easily change uh, his opinion overnight. Moreover, he is coming from a socialist party and they, uh, they do not like to pay for others. They like that others pay for them. That's, uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not so pessimistic about it. It is an idea which will be floated time and again. There is a little, I should say, a little breach was achieved during the uh, corona uh, legislation when they, to some extent, started to share responsibility for debts of these reconstruction funds. But uh, that was justified as a unique situation. And for the defense of Europe, uh, common debts, I think, will not fly. The nations, I think, will, will look at the holy grail of each parliament, and that is the budgetary right. They will not easily give it away. Colonel Kemp, even though uh, you must be relieved that it's post-Brexit and not pre-Brexit, uh, <laughs> nonetheless, Britain is going to be impacted by uh, whatever ultimately occurs in Europe, uh, and the consequences are going to be far-reaching. How does uh, the UK look at the, the various developments taking currently hold in Europe? Well, I think the UK doesn't look at it with one set of eyes, of course. And um, I think, you know, people like me who supported Brexit um, look at it and think, thank goodness we're um, no longer part of this. And, and I think with almost every press release from the, from the European Union, um, the, the, the reasons behind Brexit become more obvious, one, one of which being um, the, the, I think, the, the ever-increasing desire to create a European army, European Defence Force, which, in my opinion, would be hugely damaging to, to NATO um, and weaken NATO even further than it already is, but, but appears certainly one of, one of Macron's pet projects is to create this, mon what I would consider to be a monster. But if, if you look at it from another, pair, another set of eyes in England, I think there's still a huge number of people who want to get back into the EU. And I do believe that if the Labour Party won the next general election and kicked out, if Boris Johnson's still there at the next general election, kicked him out, um, I think there'd be a huge move to get back into the EU. And that would also apply if some leaders were elected of the... Cons you know, I think pretty much all the leadership candidates for the Conservative Party, if Johnson goes are pro, are anti-Brexit. And so I would, you know, I think there's a, what I would say is a danger. Maybe, maybe um, the Finns might, might welcome us back. But uh, <laughs> I would say it's a danger um, of, of certainly a movement to, to get us back. And I'm not sure how easy that would be. Maybe the EU wouldn't have us back. I don't know. We're troublemakers. But uh, I think there's, you know, there's mixed feelings. And, and um, you know, I think, I think Johnson... Um, pretty much led the anti or the, the pro-Brexit campaign um, but I don't think it was due to his personal commitment I think it was due to his political opportunism at the time um, and I think equally he could have gone the other way and I think that goes for pretty much 
any uh, senior members of the Conservative Party as well as Labour. I think there's a very big um, view in, in Britain among politicians and among government officials, civil servants, to, 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 get, to integrate us as much as possible and to get us back in. Because of, after all, the Conservative Party in Britain is not a, a right-wing party, it's a left-wing party. Indeed. Um, it has some right-wing characteristics. Well, it's not opposed to any of the, <laughs> the left-wing agenda within the European institutions right. uh, since, again, 68, yeah. for that matter. Well, I'd like to turn this question to you, Mr. Soini. Uh, Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, she came out and she, she said quite the strong uh, words uh, after the incident. We saw significant violence. Uh, more than 100 police officers injured uh, and she uh, basically said segregation has been allowed to go f so uh, far that we have parallel societies in Sweden, we live in the same country but in completely different realities, basically accepting that uh, the, the Swedish government has failed when it comes to integrating the, the migrants who have moved to Sweden, of course they're wonderful migrants uh, today in Sweden who have come and, and really integrated, yeah. but this is not the majority, this is a, a very tiny minority. Do you see this issue not only in, in Sweden but elsewhere as well? This is very, very uh, important issue and, and uh, you wouldn't have believed your eyes three years before if the Swedish Premier would have said such uh, such a words uh, it would be outrageous and 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 that is now what has hit them hard is the truth of what kind of society sweden has become especially certain spots of sweden where uh, virtually no police can enter uh, not even in the uh, night uh, night time but not in the uh, day daylight and and i think now the swedish society is fed up and we must um, must uh, notice that for example in Denmark it was a social democratic government who really hit hard to the immigration and and, and this is uh, how the system has failed and it's very hard because it's ideologically motivated uh, uh, thought that uh, let's take them here and everybody will uh, assimilate and, and take our values of Swedish welfare state. That is not the case. Most of the people would like to carry on as they were uh, in the previous time. And if you haven't, uh, haven't been tough enough in that integration policy, which is very hard because you will very easily get the label to be racist or xenophobic or misogynist or whatever by just uh, talking to poor sense. And this goes to the most Western democracies. And this is also politically motivated. But then we, we, if we compare now the asylum seekers process, for example, we are paying for Turkey billions that they are keeping uh, the immigration wave inside their borders, but we are not paying a single penny to Poland, who actually have now three million refugees from Ukraine. And, uh, and there was talking when I was a minister, also minister for Europe, that there will be a quota system to the asylum seekers. 
but uh, nobody talks no, oh, now about the quota system when the, the, the Europe is full of Ukrainians. And this is somehow bit, he, coming to the people's conscience that something is not right. We are ready to help the Ukrainians because they look like us, they are in the neighborhood, they are nearly, their culture is similar enough. And, uh, but this is very hard in the time of political correctness when with the one wrong word in your Twitter account, you can lose your job as a minister, as a civil servant or as a general. Like we have said also in Germany, politicians in Finland throughout the globe. And, and this is something we have to cope differently in the future. Indeed. Well, I'm not entirely sure whether this information is correct. If I read German media and listen to German politicians, Poland got some EU money in compensation for taking in three million refugees. I, I simply ask the question, I don't know exactly. Indeed. But when we're talking about uh, the challenges that the Swedish Prime Minister was speaking about, is this something that uh, we saw also occur in, in Germany? No, not with refugees. But not in the same no, level, of course. Not in the same level and not with migrants. You should not forget we are, we are used since a couple of decades to having the big, uh, second biggest uh, Turkish city on German territory. It's called <laughs> Berlin. Indeed. <laughs> Nevertheless, when we're looking at integration, what can be done differently? We have, we have, not, we have not succeeded. I think we, have, we failed with this idea to uh, integrate the many migrants from Africa, from Asia. Uh, uh, they are still living more or less outside the society. They are tolerated, they are helped, uh, but they will not become part of the German society. This idea of assimilation and integration, I think, was a failure. Which increasingly could become a problem for Germany. It could become a uh, problem for Germany, but for all the other Europeans as well. And if we look a little bit ahead into the future, if all these indications we see from Africa are right, then we will see a big wave of migration uh, coming to, to Europe, and this may be um, increased quicker than we expected due to the Ukraine war. Since uh, Ukraine and southern Russia were the biggest producers of wheat, and 80% of this uh, wheat production went to Northern Africa, to Egypt, to Somalia, Eritrea, and all these countries. And if it now is destroyed, what will happen? Famine, and famine produces migration. Indeed, General Hagland? I think we have actually been rather successful in integrating. Uh, 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 of course, we have uh, even procedurally uh, much, much, much less than, than Sweden. Sweden has. But, but generally speaking, we have no similarities to the Swedish cities, Göteborg and Malmö and, and, and so on. Um, there are some, some gangs, uh, youths, youth, usually unemployed, I mean young, 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 young guys that, that, that are fighting, uh, fighting with, with, with each other, but uh, I don't recall any uh, real demonstrations or, or, or such, and, and uh, uh, they are rather, rather well integrated. 
take an example, the, the Somalis, we have a lot of, of refugees from, from Somalia, Finland has taken them. And I must say, I have been in Mogadishu and see them and so on. I was uh, rather uh, uh, afraid that we would have some, some difficulties like, like, uh, like they have in, in, in Mogadishu, <laughs> where we had to have always, say, armor uh, cars and, and so on to, to move. But they have been integrated. Uh, they, they are a lot of bus drivers or taxi drivers. Uh, 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 Somalis and they speak Finnish. It's, it's, uh, that, that's, that's the, I think, the important thing is that they, they have to, to be a part of the society, uh, learn the, the language, and then follow the, the, uh, the, the rules that, for instance, uh, many Arabs uh, think, uh, believe that, that uh, the, the woman belongs to the man, like cheap and chicken and so on. It's, it's a, a part of the men's property and, and that doesn't, doesn't fit very well in, 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 in the Finnish society. So in Western society for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Colonel Kampf? I mean, we, we had a deliberate government policy for many years of um, multi-culturalism, um, which I think David Cameron, when he was Prime Minister, made a kind of almost an equal, equally outrageous statement as the Swedish. Prime Minister, when he said that multiculturalism has failed in the UK, and it has failed in the UK, that there are large towns, large areas of uh, the country where which are effectively ghettos for uh, immigrants, maybe third, fourth generation immigrants, but nevertheless, there are cities like Birmingham, which are, I don't know um, the exact figures, but there are cities that are, in some cases are majority non-Indigenous uh, British people. So it's and, 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 and it's not, you know, th these are pockets throughout the, throughout the country. And in some cases, there are places where, as was mentioned before, as where police can't go and won't go and don't go. Um, but the, I think the problem is pretty fundamental. Um, and it goes back to, you know, we, we would say, you know, the British people are terrible people. I know most people think British are ignorant, uh, uh, sorry, ignorant, and, and also arrogant. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but, you know, we, we say, and I don't say it personally, but a lot of British people do say it, we are terrible people. We had slaves, we had an empire, we are, you know, we're, we're the worst. And this goes right back to my own childhood. I remember it being said about, about people. So it's not something new. It's been going on for decades and decades. So we say to immigrants, come into our country. Don't be like us. Be as you were in your country because we're the most evil people. So if we can't actually set... Uh, say, you know, c come into our country, welcome to our country, assimilate into our culture, adopt our culture, which is, I think, necessary for assimilation. We can't say that because we're, we're kind of undermining ourselves. Why would, why would that encourage people to try and be British, to try and be uh, integrated? So I think, that, I think that's a fundamental problem, which began, obviously, with left-wing teaching in schools, universities, etc., and actually, if anything, has increased. But it's been, it's been, it's been taken hold of our society for decades now. Is this a matter old. of education? I think educa it, 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 it manifests itself mainly in education in schools and universities, high schools, young, very young children, uh, who, who nowadays are taught to be, they're taught that if you're white, you're, pretty, you're intrinsically evil in many, in many places, and they have to write essays about the, the evilness, evil of whiteness. This is, this is not uncommon. Um, 
but it but it goes beyond that. It goes to most of the organs of state where it's in, where it's been encouraged over many years. I think now, like Sweden, people, we have and we haven't had the same kind of rioting, etc., as as the Swedes. But we have had a lot of disorder, um, and we do get a lot of murders. We get a lot of um, criminal activity. But of course, you get it from indigenous Brits as well. But I think the the, the ratios are much higher, um, and uh, and it, it it pretty much influences everything. And you get you know you get it by broadcasters, particularly I think the BBC. So it's, it kind of seeps through the whole of society. But as I say, I think I think there's now a bit of a realization uh, among at least some politicians that this is a this is a problem now. It's going to be a much much bigger problem in the future. Indeed. Well, uh, we, we've seen this, of course, also in France and, and elsewhere, but uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to give each and every one of you the opportunity to have a closing analysis for the near future uh, ahead of our next program next month. General Nauman, we'll start with you. Well, I'm looking with anxiety to the 9th of May, the day of victory in Russia, and uh, I hope that we will see at least a preliminary ceasefire and the end of uh, violence in, in Ukraine for quite some time. I have no illusions at all that this will mean the end of war. It will just mean a pause for Putin to refresh his forces and to make another attempt. Uh, so we have to be prepared to stay the course of being united of opposing uh, the blatant violence and, and uh, breaking of laws by Putin, uh, even if that means that we'll be on a warlike situation for quite some time to come. Is Moldova next? I don't think so. No. General Hegland? Uh, I think we are, we are slowly moving towards a new world order where the dominance of the West is uh, finishing and uh, where the ideas of democracy and equality and so on are, are, are challenged. The, the uh, modern white man's burden, to, to, to quote Kipley, uh, uh, has, has been to democratize the, the world, uh, world and, and uh, um, our, our lead uh, is, is going to an end. Actually, uh, it's only about 200 years, uh, around the 18th century, the uh, gross national product of China was bigger than of whole Western world. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interim period when we have been dominating the, the world, and that's come, going to an end. We are only uh, one billion plus, and there are almost as many Chinese, as many Indians, as, as many Muslims as, 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 as we. So uh, the, the uh, gravity uh, of the world uh, politics is, is moving out from our hands. Indeed. Colonel Kemp? Uh, uh, my prediction, I'm afraid, for the next month, let's say, and maybe going on beyond that, is that um, Putin gives the Ukrainian army a massive hammering in Donbass, um, mainly with artillery um, and then ground forces as well. But I think I think they're going to I think Russia's going to make significant progress in Donbass, not by the 9th of May, but you know I think enough by the 9th of May for Putin to 
declare victory then um, and, uh, and, and also attempt to push along the south to the west towards Odessa. And then I think, uh, I agree really, General Nauman, we'll probably then see some kind of a pause, um, which may or may not be dressed up as a ceasefire, but at least a pause before he then moves on and, and bites more of Ukraine. I think that'll be the, I would say, the, the, the events in the next few weeks. Would uh, Finland also be part of that, uh, considering NATO in, in the near future? I, I hope that both Finland and uh, Sweden can uh, make uh, necessary decisions and apply for the membership, and it should be carried out in, in a rapid way before midterm elections in U.S., where I suspect the big change and big swing is about to happen. Which uh, ultimately will uh, impact uh, not only the United States, but the whole uh, world. Europe and the whole world at large. Uh, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank General Nauman, General Hegland, Colonel Kemp, and Mr. Soini for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers, and we will see you next month once more for TV7 Europa Stands. Until then, have a good evening. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.